Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Sadiq, thanks for joining me. Campaigning Sadiq, on the road, travelling across London, but taking time out to speak to us. Very, very honoured. How are you doing, Sadiq? I'm not bad. I'm not, I've not seen you for ages in person. It's lovely to speak to you, though, and I've been following how busy you've been doing this stuff, and good luck with the book. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, writing books is not quite as physically arduous, I would imagine, though, as, as campaigning to be re-elected as London Mayor. What I would ask you, Sadiq, is if you look at the polls, is in the bag, but I would put it to you that you could end up being badly hit by a lot of people being pretty complacent, partly because people just think, ah, Labour in the bag in London. But also, Sean Bailey's a joke candidate. I mean, he's run a kind of how not to run a political campaign campaign, uh, which has been quite amusing to watch in lots of ways. But maybe a lot of people go, he's going to win. Sean Bailey's going to tank. There's a pandemic on. I'm not going to vote. Look, elections are really serious. Uh, they're, they're really important. My concern is uh, what you're alluding to. Some people thinking, in inverted commas, it's in the bag. So he, so he doesn't need my vote. So he's fine. He's, he's won the election. Or some people uh, voting for a smaller party and the Tories sneaking home. And I'd remind those watching this or listening to this, as recently as five years ago, London had a Tory mayor. In the 21 years we've had mayors in London, the Tories have either won or come second. The only person that can beat the Tories is me. And so I say this to those watching this who've got progressive values, liberal values, green values, Labour supporters, trade unionists, activists. It's really important that you vote on Thursday, all three votes to Labour. Many of those listening and watching this normally knock on doors for us. Uh, and I'm asking you, please, if you've got some time spare on Thursday, please go to Sadiq.London and see if you can help out locally. We need to make sure we win on Thursday because how would you feel if you open on Friday and Thursday and you'd voted for, you know, a smaller party and the Tories snuck over? And I'll tell you this, uh, I'm old enough to remember 2008. Everyone said Ken had it in the bag and we know what happened there in 2012. Everyone said there's no way. Johnson won a second term and Johnson won a second term. So please, please, please lend me your vote on May the 6th. Really important you do vote this Thursday. Well, I mean, if Sean Bailey wins, I'll be rocking in the fetal position, dribbling probably. Um, just quickly, housing. Let's go through just some of the issues, particularly younger people are, wo- are worried about. There's a massive housing crisis in London. So you often get blocks where it's 30% social housing, the rest at market rents. Uh, I know you do lack a lot of power over housing, so I'm interested, how are you campaigning on that to get more powers from government? And what are you doing about the fact people are pushed out of London? You've got people, you know, families in one-bedroom flats. I've got examples of people with, you know, two parents, three kids, uh, you know, in in one-bedroom flats. Uh, And the waiting list for social housing is so big, they're going to move out of London. London's going to turn into Paris, a playground for the rich in the middle, people driven out if they're not rich to the outskirts. What what can you do about that? Well, let's be frank. Successive governments have let London down. I'm incredibly proud 
proud of the Labour government, but even we didn't do enough on this issue for uh, London. When I became mayor, uh, the definition of, a, of, of an affordable home uh, from the Tories was one costing half a billion pounds to buy or 80% of market value to rent. And one of the first things I did was to ditch that dodgy definition. I've got a new definition of an affordable home. It's a council home or a home where you pay a London living rent, a third of average earnings, sleep to average earnings, not market value. Or the third type is shared ownership, part by part rent with a deposit of £5,000. So new definition, I've made it harder for myself, but that's what London is in need. And here's the good news. Last year, we began building more council homes than any year since 1983. In the year before I became mayor, Johnson began three homes, three homes where you pay a social rent. Last year, we began more than 7,000. So you were making progress, if you like, we're laying the foundations, but much, much more to do. The last time the number of homes were being built commensurate with the demand for London was the 1970s. Why? Because councils were building homes, the GLC was building, building homes, as well as private developers. So we need to make sure there's more diversity in the supply chain. And if I'm re-elected, I'm going to set up GLA to be a master developer as well to pilot, see, to pilot and test the law to see whether we can start building homes ourselves as well. But, you know, roughly speaking, we need between 50 and 60,000 homes a year. And roughly speaking, we build for the last 40 years, 30 to 40,000, and that gap gets bigger. So the second big thing that I'm going to do, which is really important to many Londoners, is trying to fix the private rental market. We've made good progress. I've got the first rogue landlords register, so you can see if your potential landlord is dodgy. We've made sure landlords are on the license scheme. We also lobbied the government successfully to get rid of the fee you pay when you get a new tenancy, and the government's agreed to get, get rid of Section 21 no-fall evictions. If I'm re-elected on Thursday with a good mandate, I can say to the government, look, I campaigned for rent controls. Give me the powers to look into London having rent controls because for the foreseeable future, even if I increase hugely the number of new affordable homes, people rent privately. Big issue with rents going up, but also the lack of security of tenure. And Owen, you know this because you speak to Londoners uh, who, who experience this. We now have more and more Londoners with children uh, renting privately. So every 12 months, they're going to move their home. Their kids travel four, five, six miles away from home to school, spending, you know, an hour a day, an hour each way uh, going to school fr from home, going to home from school. That can't be right. Um, annual operating grant. Boris Johnson got rid of the annual operating grant, 600 million quid. It's the only world city without government support. How's that getting reinstated? And what about a long-term funding deal for Transport for London uh, which is obviously, I'd say, pretty critical, uh, not least for the post-pandemic London, when hopefully there's some sort of normality. Yeah, so, so Boris Johnson and, and George Osborne, two people who probably have never used public transport, signed a deal in 2015 to do away with that operating grant. We are the only global city without government support on the day-to-day -day running costs of TfL. When I became mayor, uh, uh, our deficit was £1.5 billion. And for eight years before I became mayor, the fares went up by 42%. I frozen fares for five years. So the average London household saved £200. But also I reduced his deficit from £1.5 billion uh, by 71%. And I increased the cash balances. We are a world-class transport authority. The unlimited hopper fare used more than half a billion times. And so it's a really good service. The problem is the pandemic. The pandemic has meant with the operating grant going and people not using public transport, we've not got money coming in. Uh, and we spend about £600 million every four weeks. And so I went to the government and said, listen, we need some help in the short to medium term. Every other government around the world has helped their transport authority. Our government said, okay, 
there are some strings attached. And those strings, those strings have been pretty draconian for Londoners. They wanted, to, they wanted me to get rid of free travel for kids. They wanted me to get rid of uh, free travel for over 60s. They wanted to extend the congestion charge to the North Circular and South Circular and so forth. So we've resisted that. I'm hoping with the election out of the way, there'll be cool, calm heads in government who realise we do not get a national recovery without a London recovery. And there is no London recovery without TfL firing on all cylinders. So I'm hoping it's just nonsense talk about stuff because of the election. After the election, they'll realise they're going to, we're going to have a, a, a sustainable financial plan for TfL because there will not be a recovery without London. A couple of other things. Cannabis. Now, you've said that you're going to look into the case for decriminalising it. I put it to you, that's just a slam dunk case. The war on drugs is a failure on its own terms. It disproportionately means particularly young black men get criminalised. For If we're going to be honest, Sadiq, the sort of behaviour that a lot of the British cabinet have indulged with, with no consequences, it criminalises and ruins people's lives. Portugal, they've decriminalised all drugs. It's been a tremendous success. Is, and, and is it the case? I mean, well, I want to know, what are you going to do about the issue about cannabis in particular? I do also think the Labour leadership got pretty scared when you raised this. So has that put you under pressure to water it down? No, let me just explain to you my position. My position has been in the past. I'm against uh, decriminalising uh, cannabis, but I've now got an open mind. And let me tell you why I've got an open mind uh, now. I've seen too many young people criminalised for possessing a little bit of cannabis. I've seen some of the health consequences, uh, but also I've seen the impact in relation to uh, violent crime of the drugs industry. So what I've said is, what I've said is this, look, I've got an open mind about this. I'm going to set up a London Drugs Commission after the election, uh, which will have experts on it uh, from a whole host of industries, uh, areas of big pun, um, you know, from young people to police to uh, medical experts to so forth. I want you. To, I want them to go and look what's happened overseas, where uh, we have they have decriminalised uh, cannabis. What have been the pros and the cons? What elephant traps to avoid? What are the potential upsides? And then come and present me what your recommendations are. Uh, I'm somebody as a former lawyer who likes looking at evidence, and that that will form my views. They may come back and say, by the way, Owen, listen, you know, we've looked around the world and it's been a disaster. Don't do it. Or they may say, you know what? in country A or city A, it's been a success. Why don't you look at this? And I will then have a piece of evidence, uh, which I'll be able to use to lobby the government in relation to a change of policy. And, you know, we shouldn't be too pessimistic about our ability to influence a, a Tory government um, uh, for at least the next two or three years. But also, let's be frank, we've got to, based on the evidence, change the views of people of our own tribe as well, because there are Labour politicians, I used to be one, who are against this. If the evidence from the commission is one that talks about uh, decriminalising uh, cannabis, then I think we should look at it. And what I'd be saying to the two main parties, the Labour Party and the Conservative Party, is here's the evidence. It's a sober analysis of what's happening around the world and, and they give me uh, options as to how we go forward. I mean, but I've got, I've got to be quite clear. I'm going to be basing my views going forward on what the uh, response of the London Drugs Commission is. But I think the idea of having your head in the sand and saying never it's not pragmatic to me, but also not looking at what's happening on the ground now. Penultimate question, policing. That is something that a lot of younger people are, again, pretty heads up about at the moment. They've seen uh, for many years the police often have a pretty aggressive stance towards student protesters, climate just protesters, protesters associated with the left. And uh, conversely, various far-right uh, protests, they haven't seen a similar sort of crackdown. That really came to a head 
in the Sarah Everard vigil, we were all horrified, of course, by what happened with Sarah Everard, um, a truly despicable, horrific and traumatic um, incident. But then people saw what happened at the vigil and it really, for particularly younger people, and the polling bears this out, meant a lot of anger. So I'd ask, given your relationship with the Metropolitan Police as Mayor of London, what are you going to do in terms of the Metropolitan Police and their approach to policing of protests in particular? You know, my starting point with this has changed to what my starting point would have been 10, 15 years ago. My starting point is I spent a lot of time with police officers. Uh, I've met at the families of uh, police officers who've lost their lives and I've met police officers who've suffered injury in the course of their duties and so you know they, they are people we should thank for the service that they give our city and our country on a daily basis of course they're not perfect no one sector is uh, perfect and how we please the police matters because they've got to be checks and balances there's got to be transparency because that engenders confidence we police by consent in a city of population of 10 million 32,000 officers by themselves can't keep us safe. They need us to be the eyes and ears. That's why public confidence matters. And it is a fact that some communities have less trust confidence in the police service than they should do. And that's an issue for all of us. Because if you're you know, a black Londoner or a female Londoner, and you today have a bad experience with the police, we can't be surprised if tomorrow you don't come forward to report a crime, whether you're the victim or a witness, and you don't join the police service. So it should matter to all of us. This is a mainstream uh, issue. And that's why it's really important for us to have, uh, you know, more accountability, uh, addressing the concerns of the public, recognising the really difficult job the police do. So uh, we've we've got an action plan to address some of these uh, issues which the police are signed up to uh, and it's come from the engagement we've had with communities. So for example, involving the community more in how police are trained, really important. Uh, involving the community more in how uh, our police are scrutinised, uh, involving the police more uh, in interaction with the community and some of the preventative work we do in relation to violence against women and girls, but also in relation to violent crime against Londoners uh, as well. We are making progress, but we mustn't pretend that things are uh, perfect. I make this one point, though, which is which is really important. Um, politicians should not get involved in operational matters when it comes to policing. Right For a good reason. Our own prejudices can come to the job. The police should be free to respond to an event or act in an event based upon their training and, and operational decision making. And I, I get really nervous when I see reports in the press about the Home Sec, uh, you, you know, allowing her views to influence the way uh, the police police and a whole host of issues. And I've always been quite clear with both the current commissioner and the previous one that actually I'm in charge of policy, uh, they're in charge of operational matters. And we're going to disagree. In a healthy relationship, you're going to have disagreements. You respect each other. And you're quite robust when you disagree. Uh, and I'm quite clear that, you know, a lot of the time the police get things right. Sometimes they don't. Of course, I'll support them, but I'll be a critical friend and a critical ally. And there are some times where the police have got things wrong. Final question, because you've got to go and campaign. Uh, the Labour leadership nationally, obviously Labour got a, a real kicking a year and a half ago. And that can't be underestimated. Uh, Keir Starmer came, uh, came as leader, promising to turn that around be electable, prime ministerial, all those things. Labour's overall polling, despite uptick recently, as you might expect when the government is convulsing scandal, has not been good, despite one of the worst handlings of the pandemic on earth with about up to 150,000 people dying uh, in this country, around four, one in every 433 people, uh, and as well as the terrible economic consequences you get with that. Um, there's a poll coming out in Hartlepool which suggests Labour could lose a seat 
that Jeremy Corbyn, whatever people say, criticism him, kept twice, including in 2017 when over half of the constituency voted for the Labour Party. If that goes badly, firstly, are any lessons ever going to be learned from 2017? Or are we just going to forget it never happened? Uh, because that's the first time since 1997 Labour's seats went up and Labour got 40% of the vote. I know they didn't win, but surely something can be learned from that. And finally, if he loses Hartlepool, should he just resign? Well, let me do with the, the, the questions you, you've asked. Look, firstly, I mean, being leader is tough. Uh, and, you know, whether you're Keir Starmer, or Jeremy Corbyn, uh, or anybody else, it's tough being, being a leader. We've got to make sure that we uh, learn the lessons of, of leaders who've been successful at inspiring people to lend their vote to Labour. People only lend their vote to Labour. They don't give it permanently. We mustn't assume somebody who's voted Labour will always be Labour. Just like we mustn't assume somebody who's always, be, who's always somebody who votes Tory will always be Tory. We've got to understand that it's a transactional relationship when it comes to elections. Of course, there are people whose values mean they'll always vote for a certain party. They're progressive. They've got liberal values. And so they'll never vote for party X. But that doesn't mean they'll always vote for party Y. That's why it's really important for us to always try and inspire people to vote for us for positive reasons. Uh, and so it's really important uh, that, that you know we, we judge the success of a national leader at what happens at the general election. Of course, that is. I'm not somebody who's ever been in favour of heroic failure. It's only by winning elections we can put our values and principles into action. And that's what I've sought to do over the last uh, five years. I think, you know, if this week in the, on the elections on, on May the 6th, Labour nationally doesn't do as well as we'd hoped, I, I don't think that that, that that means that, you know, that the national leadership is in, is in problem. What it means is that we've got to make sure that we can make progress over the next two years before the general election, which is going to be probably in spring 23 maybe 24. And if we go backwards, again, there are lessons that we've got to learn uh, as well. I don't think, you know, those who, who are advocating a change of leadership, if things go badly on Thursday, that's not a school of school, a school of thought I subscribe to. The school of thought I subscribe to is all of us uh, want to see a Labour government. All of us belong to the same party or support the same party. Uh, we're, 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 if you like, a coalition of progressive values. It's a big tent that we operate under. When we've won, it's been with all of us on the same side. When the Labour did well in 2017, yeah, we did win the election. Of course, we win the election. But we made progress. That was with all of us being on the same side, uh, fighting our opponents. Uh, and I think similarly, whatever happens on Thursday, I think all of us need to, you know, reflect on that and understand divided parties never win. Um, it's, that's why it's important for us to reflect on any lessons to be learned this Thursday. I say this though, you know, the idea of being the leader of a party and every single engagement you've had being during COVID is quite difficult. I found the last 14 months really hard as the mayor and the incumbent. Being the opposition leader is really hard. I mean, Keir Starmer probably hasn't given a speech where there's been human beings present. I'm not sure how many hands he's shook. I've shook in very few in the last 14 months. He certainly kissed no baby. So it's very difficult to get the energy. One of the things, Owen, I mean, that I found most frustrating about this campaign for me has been the lack of energy because you've got campaigning groups of six, you can't have rallies. You kind of proper hustings, and I think you know, you know, to be fair to Keir, he's had none of that uh, over the last uh, forty months. He's not given a conference speech, I don't think, where there's been a live audience and stuff. So it's been difficult. You're right, though. The Tories have been a shambles, cronyism, uh, uh, you know, uh, sleaze, uh, awful number of deaths in, in our country, many of them preventable. Uh, and that's why it's really important to have a very positive vision going uh, forward. But you know, whether it's you, whether it's me, if we if we subscribe to the Labour tribe, all of us will be in a constructive way. I'm sure wanting to be will want to help the National Party going forward. We are a party of many talents across the spectrum. 
we should be using all those talents. Cheers, Sadiq. I will let you go in campaign. Uh, obviously, running out of time. So if people want to commit to voting for Labour, they've got to decide very, very pronto. So we really appreciate you taking your time uh, to come speak to us and best of luck. Love you, Junior, and stay safe, mate. You as well. Stay safe, buddy. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.